I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with Sally Haynes, who is the Chief Executive at the Chartered Institute of Ecology and Environmental Management and has spent the last 10 years leading one of the fastest growing and dynamic professional membership bodies as it celebrates its 30th birthday this month. Prior to taking on this highly challenging role, Sally worked with Hampshire and Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust as Head of People and Wildlife and as Public Affairs Manager at the City of London Corporation. So Sally Haynes, uh, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. And uh, I say we've, we've been trying to organise this for a, a few months and uh, I've been on a holiday and uh, obviously diaries sort of uh, mismatch as well. But uh, thank you for your time today for coming along for the podcast. Now, just before we start, though, with the uh, with, with some of the questions, I've got a few questions of my own. So the quick fire questions. And um, I like to start the show with these sort of icebreakers, no right or wrong answer, really deep and meaningful, of course. You know, so Myers-Briggs will be um, extremely impressed with the sort of um, level of detail we're going to go into um, on the, uh, the next few questions. So armed with very little preparation, are you ready? Okay, go for it. Great. First of all, habitats, species or ecosystems? Ecosystems. Okay, and which one, if you have to choose one? Which ecosystem? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, uh, marine, marine coastal. Okay, yeah, yeah. What, uh, why is that? Why, why do you go for marine? Um, I was, I did, as uh, we we'll talk about later, I did my master's in ecology at Bangor and I got particularly interested in marine and, and uh, coastal ecology. That was my area of research and when I went on to uh, teach the Field Studies Council, I was particularly uh, strong on uh, marine and coastal and field work. So, oh, great. And, uh, and I love the sea. Great. Okay, then. and um, second question then to yourself, Sally. Um, books, films, or music? Books. Books. I love books. Yeah, what are you reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading something by... Um, an author called Philip Gray. Um, it's a series, well, it's a whole series of them, um, about particular sort of uh, German um, <clears throat> police commissioner and what happens to him during the war and after the war and so on. So, yeah, it's uh, my father-in-law lent it to me. So okay, okay. I'm giving it a go. I'll have a look out for that one, yeah. And work from home, office or other location? Um, to be honest, a, a blend of home and office. Um, obviously, spent a lot of time, work, time working from home recently, uh, and I do do like it, the convenience of it. But I miss the office environment as well. So um, uh, we're we're looking forward to getting back to that mix of home and office uh, fairly shortly, actually. Okay, great, and I'm sure we'll we'll come on to that in uh, mm -hmm. during the course of the questioning as well. Uh, questioning it sounds like it's going to be an interrogation. <laughs> it's not. 
conversation. A I think conversation, you meant conversation. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would call it a fireside chat, but maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. Joined uh, at the moment. But okay. So um, now this is a very challenging one. Okay. Now, do, would you say C I E E M, C I double E M, or Saim, or is there another way of saying it? Do you think? Saim. Saim every time. Every time. No. No. I, I, I'm totally in that camp. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a uh, just just trips up the tongue easier and <laughs> finally you'd be pleased to know if money and time were no longer an issue how would you travel from your home to your dream holiday location by train and boat i think i'd obviously uh, want to avoid flying for for obvious uh, environmental reasons um it would be a bit challenging. Um, I think my dream um, holiday destination, it does change from time to time, but at the moment it's Costa Rica. So um, I would have to plot a route uh, by boat and, and train to get there. So it would take me a long time, but then that's part of the fun of a, uh, of a dream holiday experience, isn't it? The journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's, it's about the sort of uh... You know, the adventure of getting there rather than just the destination itself. Yeah. Have you been to Costa Rica awesome. before? No, I haven't. Um, so that's why it's a, a bit of a dream. To be honest, um, Richard, I could could have given you quite a list of uh, places <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that are on my to-do list. Um, but um, just before the um, uh, COVID in March 2020, we were due to go to Japan. So that was one of our dream holiday destinations that... Right hasn't quite worked out yet so but costa rica is currently my number one number one target and i suppose yeah you know once you got to costa rica what would you be doing do you think um i think exploring the country traveling around there's lots of sort of wildlife um to see lots of good sort of um ecosystems uh to explore a bit of diving um scuba diving so um yeah it'll be uh traveling around trying to get to some of the less visited bits as well um and um uh it is some great seafood would be good as well wonderful wonderful i i'm there already <laughs> yeah that's, that's amazing i wouldn't be averse to a day on the beach but not too much no okay <laughs> great well thank you very so much for that that's the end of the, those um extremely challenging questions uh, i'll send those off to myers briggs and i'll i'll let you know <laughs> tell uh, me what comes back <laughs> okay very introspective results yeah of course so um um okay so First of all, Sally, can you can you outline for me? I mean, I, I know you a little bit from obviously as the chief executive of um, Saim, as we've agreed yeah. it is now, so Saim, and um, we've had a few conversations before. But for those who um, have, have unfortunately have not heard about yourself, could mm -hmm. you remind um, both myself and our audience about your career journey? And, mm -hmm. and also perhaps take us from your when you were you know adult years all the way up just before you started to work with Saim. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I um, I grew up in Walthamstow uh, in, in East London, um, so quite an urban upbringing um, and not much opportunity to um, travel very widely. But uh, my play playground as a child was Epping Forest. Um, and um, I used to love spending sort of school holidays and weekends with friends <clears throat> playing in the forest and I just loved that that environment and um, when I did my A-levels at school and I did A-level biology the bit that really 
stood out for me was my um, A-level ecology field course at the Field Studies Council at Down Fort in uh, West Wales. Um, and I just loved it. And I thought, I want um, my tutor's job. But the person that was teaching us, that Field Studies Council tutor, I want their job. So I set about planning how to get that job. Um, who, was the, uh, who was the tutor at the time? Can you remember? Um, it was two, actually. Um, it was a lady called uh, Teresa Bennett. Um, uh, and um, Anna Spencer, I think, was the... Anna, no, Anna Sutcliffe was the, the other one. They, they taught us as a dual team. Um, <clears throat> and they've both been signing members as well. So uh, that's a, a small world. Um, so um, I had that in the back of my mind. But then I also um, became quite interested, for strange reasons, I never quite worked out, in farming. So when I finished my... Um, A-levels, so I was going to go to Lancaster to do a biological sciences degree, but I decided to um, have a year off and go and work on a farm for a year, um, because that's what girls from East London didn't do. Um, And I went and worked on a dairy farm in Somerset. Um, And that got me really interested in sort of farming and wildlife. Um, So I thought, well, maybe I want to be a flag officer instead. and then after uh, that year, um, I, I changed degree intention really, and I did biology and maths. I did a joint degree in biology and maths. I was really interested in biology and particularly the ecology aspects of biology, but I was good at maths. And um, with uh, employment prospects not particularly great, I thought that would be quite a useful insurance. Um, and then at the end of that degree, I um, wanted to do a master's. I need to get a grant from NERC, as it was then, Natural Environment Research Council, and I got offered a grant to do um, either a master's in um, biological computations, the use of computers in biology, which is a new master's being set up at the University of York, or a master's in ecology at uh, Bangor. So I let my heart on my head um, and did the ecology at Bangor because that, that was what I was really interested in. And um, uh, even if I wasn't, you know, if I was going to struggle perhaps to get a job, but um, I did that master's, I did a, that led on to a, a, a sort of six month research project for Snowdonia National Park Authority, uh, which led on for my dissertation, which was about looking at the application of remote sense data to monitor changes in uh, vegetation cover and land use. Yeah. Um, but then at the end of that six months, I got my dream job and became that field studies council tutor. I was going to um, say, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned it earlier <laughs> although on. I was at I was at uh, Nettlecombe Court on Exmoor. I do. Um, I so, was placed uh, as a student there myself. Oh right, okay. So well, uh, yeah, I know Nettlecombe very well. <laughs> Nettlecombe very well. well um, obviously, my favorite became my favorite uh, FSC centre. Um, but yeah, I became tutor, then senior tutor in ecology there. Uh, I loved it. Um, again, some, there were days when the sun was shining and you were standing on the top of Exmoor, on, on the coast of Exmoor, you couldn't believe you were being paid to do it. And then there were other days when you were getting cold and wet. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it was, uh, you thought, why am I doing this job? <laughs> but I loved it. And um, so I was there for, for several years. And then I moved on to the Wildfire and Wetlands Trust um, at Arundel. Um, so completely different environment, but it, it kind of had set the train of me working for a series of um, environmental NGOs, um, which I really enjoyed and, and was learning a lot. And then I um, decided to go traveling uh, around the world for a year. So um, 
I packed that job in and went traveling. And uh, when I came back, I was looking for job adverts and I saw uh, a job advert for um, a charity called Learning Through Landscapes, um, which I happen to know was based in, in Hampshire in Winchester. And it was talking about a, 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 an education officer um, for Thames Chase Community Forest. Well, I didn't know where Thames Chase Community Forest was, but um, I thought, well, Thames, you know, Oxfordshire, imagine the Thames winding its way through the, through the countryside. I thought that can't be too bad. So I applied for it uh, only to find that um, the forest didn't actually exist yet. And um, it was about creating this new uh, community forest in East London. <laughs> so um, I became, um, the Lonely Through Landscapes Education Officer for Thames Chase, the Community Forest to the East of London, which wasn't the shortest job title I've ever had. Um, but it was exciting to be part of the Community Forest Programme at the time. Um, and then that led on to um, becoming the head of uh, Lonely Through Landscapes uh, across London. Um, so creating a new regional structure and a new regional post. Um, and that then led me on to um, joining the City of London Corporation at Epping Forest, which um, was uh, back very much to my childhood roots. And um, I just fell in love with the forest all over again. Um, got to know it really, really well. Um, some great projects. We were looking to reintroduce um, free range grazing to the forest to try and recreate uh, the wood pasture. Um, to, we were um, uh, doing lots of pond restoration and habitat management plans. And, um, it was a really, really great job and I was there for six years. Um, and then for personal reasons, wanted to relocate um, down to Hampshire. So that's when I joined the Hampshire Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust. Yeah. Um, and I then covered their sort of membership fundraising, all of their sort of environmental education, um, outreach work and, and the work on reserves. Um, and uh, communications and so on. So I was um, a really exciting role, an exciting time to be with the Wildlife Trust. Got to work with a number of other Wildlife Trusts as well. But I felt something was missing. So I decided in my spare time to do another master's degree yeah. in voluntary sector management, which is the um, uh, charity equivalent of an MBA. Um, so I did that at uh, City University, um, sort of evenings and weekends. Um, so, um, and then after that, uh, I was thinking about what to do next when my current job came along. So I guess um, it's a good few years now since I've, I'd probably say um, my job at City of London Corporation at Epping Forest was the last time I was doing sort of practical ecology and surveys and field work. Um, so, um, but uh, yeah, an, an interesting career. And I've learned so much from every job I've ever had. Wow. I really enjoyed it and met some wonderful people. So I've been very fortunate. That sounds absolutely amazing. It's such a, um, a diverse range of um, roles as well. But I think one thing that seems to unify them, uh, though, Sally, seems to be this larger connection with people and community. Mm. So, um, um, you, you know, that stems, it seems to stem back right from, I say, that, I suppose, the community forest management work you, you've been mm. undertaking, you know, who you undertook and the fields those council work. So where does that passion come from? <coughs> I don't know so much you can really put your finger on where it comes from. I, I think I've been fortunate through my life that I've had people that have um, 
deliberately or inadvertently given me some sort of real light bulb moments about the environment, about nature and wildlife and some really special experiences and being able to share that with others. One of the things I really loved about working with the First Ladies Council, you know, I would get a group of um, uh, A-level students, perhaps, or GCSE students arriving on a Wednesday evening who didn't want to be there, who had uh, left boyfriends, girlfriends, Saturday jobs, whatever, and the thought of coming out to this yucky countryside uh, and for, for a week and being and working really long hours and, and so on was just, just dreadful. But at the end of the week, uh, they would be not wanting to go home or they'd be or they'd be saying how much they'd learned and how much they'd really enjoyed it. And, and just seeing that transformation and that seeing people fall in love uh, with nature, uh, I think is a, a really wonderful thing. And, you know, to be involved in creating those opportunities, I personally find very inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, I, I love my time with Phil's Council, as, it, as you say, <laughs> it's just it's there. I mean, it just teaches you so much about, you say, about people, but also about wildlife and the connection between those two. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I've got, I've got the Field Studies Council, particularly Nettleton Court, uh, <laughs> a lot to thank for, for my career. So uh, yeah, yeah. wonderful. So um, great. Thanks for that. Bringing up to date. So I suppose my next question, leading on from there, is um, now Saim are celebrating their thirtieth year as a professional body so i mean what sort of challenges have you faced under particularly under your 10 years of tenure as a chief executive so you know what challenges have Siam faced in, the, in over those um, 30 years do you think okay well 30 years is still relatively young for a professional body and we're still uh, regarded as quite a young profession um uh, careers in ecology didn't really take off till um, the sort of 70s and 80s, certainly after the Wildlife and Countryside Act um, in the UK. So um, we're still a relatively young profession. And I think in our early days, um, so during the 90s, it, it was quite a struggle. There was a group of really passionate people, some of, you know, who were founder members of the Institute, several of whom are, are still with us today, which is great, who worked so hard to get the Institute off the ground, but it was all voluntary. All the effort was voluntary. Everything was done on a voluntary basis. It was about um, six years or so, six or seven years before they could have their first paid member of staff. So, um, uh, you know, as soon as you start, so, sorry, Sally. I mean, why was it set up? I mean, what, what was the driving force or forces behind setting up um, the you know the institute at that, at that time? Well, I think it was that there was there was recognition that there was more um, uh, people taking it up as a career and as a profession but that they didn't necessarily have uh, much of a, a voice or much uh, opportunity for networking. Most people were members of the British Ecological Society um, and still are. I mean, we share a lot of members in, in common, um, but um, that was very much going down the um, uh, research and um, sort of learned society uh, route. There wasn't a lot for people who were primarily interested in applied ecology. Um, and of course, there was also a crossover with geography. So it was actually um, uh, a, a group of BES members and Royal Geographical Society members that sort of uh, organised some meetings to sort of moot the idea of a new professional body for um, uh, ecologists um, and environmental managers. And there was much talk at the time whether it should be just ecology or environmental management as well. And if it's environmental management, what aspect of the environmental management is it? Mm. 
Um, but the, the decision was, was taken to, to go for it. Um, and um, it was launched as an institute in 1991. And um, uh, it just took quite a long time, as these things often can, to, to grow some traction and, and to start to grow. Um, so with few members, there wasn't a lot of money coming in. Without money, you can't provide a lot by way of service um, or events. But it started with the traditional professional body sort of uh, activities of uh, conferences. Uh, for example, it might do one or two conferences a year and um, also uh, providing a, a publication in practice. Um, and then gradually things like uh, membership criteria came in, uh, a code of professional conduct, uh, the first geographic section was formed when a group of members said, you know, we'd actually like to have some sort of network structure. And, and gradually over time, through the, um, the, the, the end of the 90s and into the noughties, um, uh, the, the, the Institute started to, to grow, but was still struggling, I think, to, um, to find its, its voice. Certainly when I joined, um, I was very aware, I mean, and, and, and the Institute was still very small at the time, there were seven members of staff. Um, and the we didn't have very much profile as, a, as an Institute or as a professional body. So for example, in terms of government, if they were doing um, a big launch of a white paper or some event or some stakeholder consultation, we, we were never on the list. So, you know, we really had to fight hard to raise our profile, to, to find and then use our voice and to um, exert some, some influence. And, and that was one of my key priorities over the, um, the time that I've been CEO. So I'm particularly proud, I think, of our, um, our policy work and how we've developed that, that policy profile um, and that, um, that voice. I think we are now um, proactively consulted by, um, by governments and, and by statutory nature conservation bodies. Um, they seek our advice. We get involved in, in, in partnership projects with them where that's appropriate. So that's something that has enormously changed over the last 10 years. Um, Sorry, Sally. So well, I know there probably wasn't one defining moment that sort of turned it around or, you know, as it is turning around. Um, but what, so what activities were IEM at that point um, involved yeah. with in terms of actually, you know, setting the agenda for ecologists and environmental managers back in the uh, you know, mid 90s, should we say? Um, I think in the mid 90s, um, there wasn't very much. It was very internally focused. That was part of the problem because it was um, such a small organisation um, and with little or no staffing and no money, it was all very um, about much about servicing the members. Um, so um, uh, it was only really as the organisation grew towards the latter end of the, the, the noughties, so sort of 2007 onwards. And then, um, you know, when I came, I, I sort of made it a priority that we needed to be much more proactive in this area. And that's just hard graft. You know, it, it's responding to consultations, giving really well-considered evidence-based responses to um, government consultations. Um, and following that up, going and talking to MPs um, repeatedly, um, going and talking to um, uh, the right civil servants. Um, uh, th those, those are the ways you start to get yourself known and making a difference. And we also were producing really high quality industry guidance as well. 
by then. And that, and that is actually um, very influential in terms of um, allowing statutory nature conservation bodies, for example, or local planning authorities to say, yes, we want you to do it this way. That's, that's how we want you to do that particular process or that particular assessment. So that started to, to add to our, our um, um, reputation as well. It's all about at that stage reputation. With that, you start to grow your membership. So our membership um, numbers were going up. Um, and then um, uh, we introduced our competency framework. So we started to try and give more structure to the profession um, to create more in the way of um, progression um, through the profession as well. And um, that then influenced our membership assessment criteria. And all of these kinds of things, the, the expanding our training program, um, we were able to demonstrate our leadership of the profession, which of course led to us getting our Royal Charter in 2013. And that was a big step for us because it also gave us the power, which was quite unusual at that time, the power to create the Register of Chartered Ecologists. Um, I would say at the time, not many new registers were being uh, established. So that was another another big step for us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when he came into in the, the chartership, and I think, um, as you say, he was uh, sort of a, before that route. He was, um, you know, char chartered environmentalists, uh, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, okay. Which we still obviously you still offer. Uh, offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, in terms of, I suppose the you know the the resources you were providing to ecologists, environmental managers, then uh, you mentioned also about about you know the reputation. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it, of increasing visibility of uh, of of the organisation and leading to growth in terms for growth in terms of membership. Um, so um, going back to sort of reputation, then. So you know, some people will argue that um, you know, what does Saeem provide for me to me? You know, it's all very individualistic, but uh, you know, as I mean, but what does Saeem provide to ecologists and environmental managers? Um, I think it's uh, a good question. I think it's um, about what any professional body uh, provides to its members. We're not a trade association. We're not here to, to lobby on um, members' behalf and, and represent your interests as a business. Um, but we are there to um, uh, provide support through um, access to training and knowledge sharing events and networking opportunities. Um, we're there to um, provide uh, regulation, which of course within SIEM is voluntary because people choose to be a member. So through the Code of Professional Conduct, but that gives the public assurance that you're working to high standard um, and that you can be held to account if you're not working to those high, high standards. Um, producing the guidance that the industry needs, the guidance documents, and, and also the, the engagement with policy and the engagement with um, if you like, policy decisions that affect practice. Um, we're doing that on behalf of the members uh, and the industry. So it's not so much, there are personal benefits, which are around things like discounted access to, to training, um, but the, mainly it's about being part of the development of your profession and your profession's voice and, and influence, which in itself should benefit you in terms of your professional practice. Um, it's a, um, it's as much a, a cause-led membership as it is a benefits-led membership. Yeah, and I, I think that's a totally valid point. So I think you know a lot of 
a lot of um, sort of the commentary I read or hear is, um, you know, what does sign do for me? Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's it's. I think that's very, that's where it's driven from. Is that they actually say that it's, it's sort of, it's not meant to be for the individual, but for the whole sector, and therefore the mm. in terms of the whole environment as well, the natural environment. So, um, it, it, so in terms of holding, uh, I say holding Saim to account. Then, so what can we expect mm. from Saim in terms of representing our industry or sector, uh, sort of. Um, 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 uh, uh, requirements or sort of um, our, our roles as ecologists and environmental managers? Um, I think it's about engaging with uh, decision makers who are making, you know, people who are making decisions that affect what we do and how we do it, and giving the perspective of the ecologist and environmental manager um, and how the industry can both um, be effectively delivering uh, biodiversity restoration. Um, and also how decisions taken by, um, say, governments or statutory nature cons conservation bodies could actually, inadvertently, sure, but 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 could could actually stop us delivering those good outcomes for biodiversity that that we would seek to um, provide. So, um, for example, we would comment on things, things like the new proposals for planning reform. Um, which for a lot of our members could have quite significant uh, implications um, as to how we do our job. We would be wanting to represent the, um, the industry's uh, views and, and um, uh, trying to ensure that any proposals that go forward are going to deliver the best outcomes for biodiversity and how our members can contribute to that um, rather than actually close opportunities off so it, it, it's, a, it, it's about trying to make sure that, that the professional's voice is heard in all the right places. Um, and we spend a lot of time building up links with um, decision makers, influencers, other organisations that we partner with in order, to, in order to, to make that voice heard effectively. Um, so it's a, it's a really important part of our role. Yeah. I would just go back just very quickly though, Richard. I, I, it's not that there aren't some individual member benefits and uh, things like being able to uh, get advice on career progression, mentoring platform, member assistance program. These are all personal individual benefits. Um, but it's, um, I don't think people should lose sight of the fact that they're also part of a collective movement as well. Um, and that's what makes us strong as a profession and give us gives us that loud voice that can affect decision making. Great. No, no, no. Very valid points. And yeah, and I must admit, um, if everyone's interested in the mentoring platform, I, should, I do recommend you get on there either as a mentor or a mentee. Uh, really, because I think you know everyone has a role. It doesn't matter what level of experience. I think you know we, everyone could offer both that those sort of um, levels. You know, being a mentor. I mean, I I have my own mentors, and I'm a mentee to other people. Um, uh, so you know, I think it just works. You know, say it's giving back, but it also, you know, it's always someone and something to learn off someone. I Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things we want to start encouraging is a bit more by way of reverse mentoring. So where traditionally it's a more senior person mentoring a, a less experienced person. We also want to flip that around a bit and so allow perhaps the person who would traditionally see them as a mentor 
learn from the, um, uh, the, the less practical experienced person, but has maybe got some different life experiences to share and different right. perspectives as well. And you, I think you mentioned a little bit previously um, within this uh, recording about, um, you know, the career progression framework document, yeah, career framework documents you created. Um, how instrumental, I mean, I mean, what, I mean, how long did that put, take to put together? I'm sure it's not a finished article, it's always evolving, but um, how important is that? And, you know, who is your target audience for it? You know, other, other than saying um, it, it's for, you know, to, to sort of as a membership guidance in terms of um, objectives throughout their career, but how important is it for employers, for instance? Oh, oh, it's really important. I mean, I think we um, are not uh, a, an example of good practice as an industry in terms of how we support people to come into our profession and then support them through it. Um, there are so many different routes in. Well, I say there are so many different routes in. It's still very much a, a graduate, uh, a, you know, a degree-led entry into the profession, which is something we'd like to see change. Um, but there are many different types of degrees and many different different ways in. And um, I think that we need to have more structured uh, advice and support for people coming in um, to help them see um, how they uh, where they fit within the if, if you like the whole competency framework approach that we take and how they can progress through and what that looks like and what training and supports available to help them. But it's really important that employers engage with that. Um, you know, we have responsibility as employers to um, support and develop our staff. And I think you need to understand uh, how, how they want to learn and where they need, want to get to and what resources you can provide or can facilitate to help them, help them do that. So um, career progression um, and how we treat people within our profession in their early years is really, really important. Okay, so you know, there's a lot of guidance there for employees. Is it Saim's role, or responsibility, or maybe collaboration? Of I mean, how do you engage with employers then? You know, because obviously it's not an employer membership um, uh, organisation, is it? There's um, the registered practice. Yeah. Okay, so um, a couple of things I think. Um, so we produce a lot of guidance for employees, um, but there is also guidance. Um, that is useful to employers. So for example, our good working practices um, is useful for both employees and employers. Um, our guidance on providing good quality uh, work experience um, opportunities, internships and so on is all for employers. Our members are individuals rather than employers. So um, and as I said before, we're not a trade association, but we look to engage with employers um, as employers of our members to influence what they do. So our registered practices scheme, um, which you've mentioned, is um, for companies or organizations. It, it, it doesn't make them members of the Institute, but it's a scheme where if uh, the majority of your relevant staff are members, practicing members of SIEM, then you could um, become a registered practice provided you're prepared to commit to a number of criteria, which includes following our guidance on good working practices, uh, supporting the professional development of staff and so on. Um, and we want to look at how we can be um, shining a spotlight on registered practices as 
um, good employers because they're doing those things. But in order to do that, we're also thinking that we need to reassure ourselves that they are doing what they've signed up to do. So we're thinking about how we might introduce some sort of auditing process for registered practices. And we'll be talking to them about that later um, this year. So um, we are also supporting, but not leading, a new employers um, working group. You may be aware, Richard, we've done quite a bit of work this year. Well, I know you're aware, actually, we've done quite a bit of work this year looking at early career issues. Um, and um, that's identified some actions that we can take forward. So, for example, we're creating a new early careers special interest group that we will be very hands-on in supporting. Um, we are going to be doing a lot more engagement with final year um, degree students to help prepare them for the world of work and what questions they should be asking of employers and what good working practices and so on look like. Um, and we are, but, but there were some, there were some, there were a number of other things we're going to be doing, but there were some things that we can't do because we are not, employers are not our members. So we can't, for example, um, just make decisions about what uh, a reasonable salary bands are for people at different stages in their career and provide guidance on that. We can't um, make decisions about what reasonable survey workload looks like, but we can support a group of employers to come together to do that and have those discussions um, and, and help get that, disseminate that. So we've got a new employers um, uh, working group um, starting in October that are going to have those kinds of tasks on their agenda. It's about getting employers to take some responsibility for solving some of the problems we've heard about this year um, as well and supporting them to do that rather than Saeem um, being the one to say, uh, we've got all the answers. We're not in your situation, employers, but we have got all the answers anyway, so please do it this way. That's not going to work. It needs to be um, employers-led. There are things we can do for individuals as our members, um, and we propose to do that, but we, we need to engage with employers, but we need them to be leading some of those changes as well. Great. And uh, in terms of... Um, um, I suppose um, also linked within that question itself, uh, with your answer, Sally, is, uh, you know, we, we've all heard sort of stories of an exploitation uh, with, uh, you know, I, I don't like titles at all particularly. I mean, we, we're thinking of changing within our own company. But um, entry-level ecologists, you know, just those who are starting out in their career and um, in one way, I don't want to say it's naivety, but in terms of you just don't know what to expect when you first start. You're grateful for that position you get on with the role how how de detrimental is it to our profession do you think and and also ways to actually resolve these issues of um of that exploitation at the early stage of your career um i think it's hugely detrimental um it does us no credit whatsoever and um at a time when we're trying to create a more diverse and inclusive profession um being in danger of developing a reputation as a, uh, a profession where there's sometimes abusive management of, of staff um, and use of staff is just really something we should be, be tackling with. But we need employers to be part of the solution. Um, I, I, it's not all employers by any means. There's lots of really good employers out there. So we want to say, well, how comes you can manage 
your staff effectively and support them and treat them appropriately and others can't. What are you doing right and how do we share that good practice? How do we um, make it unacceptable for employers to treat staff the way some of them appear to be treating their staff? Um, how do we allow the people in those situations to recognize that they are bad situations and to then know what to do about it and to be able to talk to other people about it? You know, we have, we have some systems and processes in place with the, the Members Assistance Programme and the mentoring platform or ways of getting advice. But we think by creating a special interest group, so a, a network for early career professionals, they'll be able to talk to each other um, as well and get advice. They'll also have a, a direct route into SIEM um, to get um, further advice. But we want to make it uh, unacceptable for employers to um, expect staff to work the kind of hours they're working or for the kind of salaries that they're offering or the, the lack of salary that we're offering for it to become just unacceptable and for people to find out much more easily who the good employers are and, and who they should avoid. And that comes back to also going into the um, universities uh, to final year students and saying, um, you know, when you're looking for a job, this is what you should be asking for. This is what you should be looking for. Um, these, these are the questions to ask of a prospective uh, em employer um, and, and just challenge you push back a little bit more. But also if you find yourself in a, a situation that is really damaging to your, um, both your, your physical, mental well-being and your financial situation, how to get out um, as well and, 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 and not see that as the end of your career. We saw far too many examples of you know, employers saying, well, it was tough when I started. Um, why should it be any easier uh, now? And, and that's just yeah. completely unacceptable. Absolutely. We should be making it a profession to be proud of, a profession that people want to come into, a profession that they clearly see their way in and get treated with respect um, and, and treated properly. Um, you know, it's, we're fortunate, most of us, we're really passionate about what we do and we're passionate about nature um, and wanting to do the right thing by nature. But that doesn't mean that we need to, you know, anybody has any right to be abused uh, or to be abusive like that. So um, we need to change some of our working practices and we need to create some employer momentum around that change. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think, you know, that there should be should be people wearing like a badge of honour, you know, or see it as a rite of passage that, you know, you have to do those... Yeah. You know, five back-to-back -back dusk and dawn surveys. It's, Absolutely it's, not. It's, it's detrimental to one's own health, and as well as a, you know, how can you, how can you function the next day? And if people say, well, you know, it's my body, it's my, you know, it's my, it's my decision. Um, but um, sometimes it's the way employers ask you those questions as well. Would you mind doing this back-to-back -back survey? Would you mind going up to this, you know? And how can you refuse that? You know, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to say no. And it's, it is, you know, we see, you know, we've had, had people saying to us, well, I really didn't want to do it. I felt exhausted, but I could see my manager was under pressure and, I, you know, I was going to be letting everybody down if I didn't do it. And, you know, and people, you shouldn't be in that situation. And we all have different levels uh, of how well we can cope with interrupted sleep and, um, you know, and, and very long working days. But that doesn't make any of us any better or any worse than, than anybody else. We should be doing what is reasonable and appropriate and working to our strengths. So um, we do need a bit of a, a culture change in some areas. And um, mm. uh, SIEM as an organization is absolutely 
part of that and engage with that um, and wants to help uh, effect that change going forward. Um, and we want to work with, with like-minded employers. And, you know, and there are good employers, as I say, if, if a good employer who, who can manage uh, their staff and their workloads effectively and still turn a profit if they're a private company, um, then they maybe they can tell others how to do it as yeah. well. Um, because the, the knock-on effect is that some companies take on far more work than they've got staff for, which is why they then uh, staff are working such long hours um, and the work is charged out or, or, or the work is done for um, low, low rates. And, and that's another problem within the profession. Um, you know, people are not necessarily charging for the amount of time the work should take. And um, consequently, um, that, that damages the profession as well. We, we, we need to know our worth. Uh, as ecologists and environmental managers and and we're not going to have other professions respecting us and respecting our worth if we're always doing things very cheaply yeah absolutely now i, I think as you say there's, there's some great examples out there of employers who who do get it right seem to get it right and i've you know heard about you know um, um, you know, companies who are, you know, their ecologists are on the same pay scale as their, you know, their engineers, for instance, mm. in the same pay grades. And I think that's to be applauded. So, I mean, just a couple of questions relating to, as not the other end of this, the other end of this, but, um, okay, so that's early career ecologists. You know, mm -hmm. how, you know how about supporting the, those who actually been in for, a, you know, a while now, maybe come to a senior uh, position within a company, maybe moving on to management. Now, um, I, I don't know about yourselves, but um, you know, we, you know, we can see certainly that um, it's a real struggle to recruit senior or managers, directors within our profession. A couple of questions are based on that. Um, is, is that. is that your experience? If, if so, what can Saim do to support those individuals, uh, but also maybe the employers, perhaps, you know, uh, as well. Um, and also about another question based upon that, you know, you touched on about um, um, sort of, you know, um, um, sort of accreditation, but, um, you know, the name ecologist, and I, I don't know if this is a time and place to do it now, but um, in terms of the protection of the word, the name ecologist, is that something that Siam is working towards as well? Okay, so um, in terms of your, your first question, I think the, um, there is an issue at the moment in terms of the more senior roles, the availability of applicants for more senior roles in the profession. I think to some extent it stems from um, the, um, the, the sort of crash in 2008, um, um, where then for a few years there was less recruitment into the profession, there was a bit less work around and there was less recruitment into the profession. And we're starting, we're seeing the impact of that now, because these are the people, 10, 12 years of experience that should be, be ready and for these senior roles. So um, I don't think there's anything we can do about that retrospectively. Um, I think through um, some of our, um, um, some of our initiatives, um, we can provide some support. So again, the mentoring platform is just as appropriate for people who are looking to advance to the next stage of their career as it is for those who are starting out on the career. And there's quite a few mentors there that are particularly keen to support um, uh, experienced ecologists to, 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 to progress and to step up and, and to find the right way of doing that. 
I think in the same way that we're um, soon launching our sort of early career training program for um, uh, ecologists and environmental managers, I, I, you know, once that's off the ground and, and running next year, I'd like to then perhaps be thinking about uh, a management and leadership program. If we can think that we've got, we can add some value to it in terms of um, coming from the ecologist and, and environmental manager uh, perspective. So I think there are, are some things that we can do. We also have to recognise there's a there's a, a lack of ecologists and environmental managers at key levels at the moment. You know, across the country, there's some very big projects that are absorbing a lot of ecologist time, um, and um, you know, consequently, that's left other projects and, and other companies, um, you know, looking, scrabbling around, trying to find suitably um, qualified and, and competent staff. So it is going to take time to, um, to sort out. Um, but I also think it's quite an exciting time to be coming into um, ecology and environmental management as a profession. There's, there's you know, lots of roles out there, lots of work. Uh, and I'm not talking just about the private sector. Um, you know, one of my ambitions when coming into the Institute was to make it an Institute for ecologists and environmental managers across all sectors, particularly coming from such a strong NGO um, and local authority background. So um, uh, I don't feel we've achieved that to the extent that I would like at the moment, but I would like to be providing more support uh, and engagement for um, ecologists from non-consultancy sectors. But, you know, the reality is that about 65 to 70 percent of the profession are working in the, the private sector. Um, and then there was a second part to your question, which I've never forgotten. Oh, well, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. But just going back slightly onto that, uh, um, a little bit expanding on the, on the roles of senior ecologists. Now, um, I'm sure, well, I'll, I'll just give you an example. So, you know, I, I, I think this is anecdotal, but uh, that, um, you know, we were seeing a lack of senior ecologists. Or because I think a lot of these people are also leaving the profession. It's not that um, there's a, there's a, a shortfall, but actually they're getting to a certain point and going. Do you know what? Either the company's wrong for me, the work type of work is wrong for me. Um, I'm being pushed into, and, and I'm, I'm not asking you to, to solve these questions, uh, answers uh, questions at all. Um, the type of work is wrong for me. I'm being pushed more into a managerial managerial profession uh, role, should we say, rather than actually the the ecological profession which is what i joined and so i'm not don't feel supported as a you know i'm not a great people person um i understand that i need to supervise people but my greatest passion is undertaking those surveys undertaking those you know the reports providing advice to my clients i don't want to be put into a role where i'm actually managing people project management it's not for me especially at this pay scale i'm off I mean, is, is that? I mean, that, that's that's sort of my experience, or of, and talking to a few people that have actually left their left left their um, roles. Uh, uh, yes, it certainly does happen. I don't think it's any um, more noticeable than in other professions. I think um, there are, um, you know, historically, a lot of people how they progressed was to move into management and whether that's of people or projects and become more desk-based than field-based. Um, and that happens in our other professions as well. Um, and for some people, that's not the right route to go. Um, so um, they might stay where they are or they might, um, as you say, leave, leave the profession. But it, it's not untypical, um, I'm afraid, for people to, as they progress to be expected to take on some kind of management 
um, uh, responsibilities. Um, but I think there's another issue around senior management, which is where we are losing people is uh, primarily uh, women um, who um, they uh, may have a career break to have children. Um, they look to come back into the profession and look to come back into the kinds of organizations they were working for before. And there's just not enough flexibility. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough profession and, and you know, the kind of hours not only the length of the hours, but when the hours need to be worked sometimes, um, there's, there's not sufficient flexibility for many people who want uh, part-time perhaps working or more flexible working approaches. Um, and so they choose to leave and um, often go into um, be self-employed yeah. um, and, and become subcontractors or set up their own small consultancies. So that is, I think, another big contributing factor. It's not always women, sometimes it's men, but a big contributing factor to there not being enough people to go into the senior manager's role because we're losing quite a few people um, just before they get to that 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 stage um, because the the working conditions just they just can't make it work with care responsibilities. So I think that's probably a bigger issue that I see than people making a choice to leave their profession altogether. Yeah, yeah, no, I think a combination of maybe of uh, all those uh, really, but. Yeah, the second question, Sally, was regarding the protection of the name ecologist. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, is that is that is is that a good thing, or do you think actually you know it's a route we shouldn't be going down? Um, we think that um, we, we want to see it protected, um, and indeed, just this um, uh, last month, this month, no, it's last month now, it's August. Um, I was um, writing to um, some government departments about it. The difficulty is that um, the government as a whole does not uh, is not in favour of having more control over the professions, including having protected titles, um, unless there's a need, unless effectively the public are at risk. That that's what's their their key decision. But um, uh, we are making representations to them on the basis that um, they're at the moment, uh, you know, anybody can call themselves an ecologist. Um, anybody can do uh, a bat survey, uh, for example, or a waterfall survey. Uh, they might do it very well. They might do it very poorly. Um, but there's no no require, requirement for them to um, necessarily have demonstrated any competence before calling themselves an ecologist. And we think that does put the public at risk it puts society at risk it puts nature at risk so <clears throat> we are we are trying to start that conversation have that conversation um and i think that comes back to, to what we talked about earlier about reputation as well if we were trying to do this 10 years ago i think we'd probably have been laughed out of wherever um but i think now we're able to show how by uh, having competent ecologists and environmental managers you can deliver a much better um, product, a much better outcome uh, for, for nature and society. And um, with the, the, the rhetoric, and let's hope it's not all rhetoric at the moment about the importance of the environment and nature and green recoveries, um, it's a good time to be pressing, pressing that case. So that's certainly what, we, what we're doing. 
Okay, is that, I mean, you've only just started the conversation, there's no particular timescales at all involved? With there's no particular timescales on it because we're in the, I mean, we've, 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 we've laid a bit of groundwork, um, but um, we're now starting to open up that conversation more uh, forcefully, if you like. We can't say any timescales because to some extent you're in the hands of, uh, of government. And with a lot of these things, it's about opportunity. You could, you, you could fall on deaf ears this month, but two months time, it might actually just, there just might be a glimmering of opportunity because something's changed, something's opinions changed. There's somebody in a different role uh, who's interested and are then, are then willing to progress it. But, you know, we need to get support from government uh, departments. Um, uh, so not just DEFRA, but MHCLG, um, business, um, industry. So we need to get quite a lot of support to create the argument. Um, it's one of those um, difficult situations where if something badly went wrong, there would be more of an argument to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to protect the title and have a bit more control over who can call themselves an ecologist and who, who can do what. But um, we obviously don't want things to go really, really wrong. Um, so uh, it's, um, it, it's a bit of a challenge, but we think you know, the time is now to, to make a more uh, vocal call for this is what we want to think is, is direction of travel. Because the other thing to think about it is that um, there are more and more um, things, schemes coming in potentially that are going to require people to, to, to demonstrate their competence. As you know, we're working with Natural England and the Black Conservation Trust um, uh, on um, piloting earned recognition for licensable um, bat mitigation work in England. Um, so that's about proving your competence um, in order to then be trusted with a much lighter, lighter touch um, uh, licensing process um, to do, to do high quality bat survey mitigation work. Um, we're developing within SIEM an, an ecological clerk of works accreditation scheme that is being very much driven by, by industry. Um, so, you know, bit by bit, there, there are things happening that are going to require people to demonstrate their competence. Well, if they only had to do it sort of once effectively in order to earn the right to the title um, ecologist, that might actually be better and more cost effective mm -hmm. for everyone all around. So I think it's the time is now now right to, to be more vocally building on the groundwork we've been doing over the past couple of years and, and more vocally making a case to government. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you, Sally. Uh, now, you, um, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I'm going to start, start to wrap things up slightly. Um, and I'm just going, to, I, I mean, just to give you a heads up, because I, 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 this is a new question I didn't send to you before, but um, just thinking about a little elevator pitch as well for Siam. But I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second about why should people join Siam. Um, but in terms of, I mean, you've, you've you've touched upon a few points there in terms of what's next for Siam in terms of um, you know uh, you know the, the, the protecting the name of the ecologist and um, you know this, the mental platform and so forth. But um, what? What areas or what specific projects are is Syme currently working on that we can expect some sort of update in the next 
three to six months then. So we're in September now, September 21. But so, you know, in, in the latter part of this year, early part of next year, what can we look forward to um, being um, uh, issued from SIEM? Okay, well, um, I, I want to give a bit of a plug for our work around um, diversity and inclusion. Um, that's another big area of work for us. And we'll be publishing a report fairly soon on um, some uh, black and uh, minority ethnic um, consultation um, recommendations as to how we can um, take steps in terms of people of colour of creating a more diverse and inclusive profession. But of course, there are other areas of diversity and inclusive, inclusivity we want to work on as well with our uh, diversity and inclusion working group. We'll be launching our early careers training programme um, within the next six months, um, and that's specifically designed for those who are just starting out um, in their, their careers. It's a 12-day training, training programme that takes place over 12 to 18 months, a mixture of some sort of core modules um, and some, some optional modules. Um, so that will be happening. We also um, will be finishing the pilot of the accredited ecological clerk of work scheme. Um, so um, we'll be then be making a decision as to how and, and when we roll that out, if that goes well. We are um, talked about some of our early careers activities, so setting up a new special interest group, doing more careers um, engagement work. We're, we're planning quite a big project working with STEM um, and um, providing materials for more STEM ambassadors and, and getting more of our members um, as signed up as STEM ambassadors and getting them into to schools and that of course then links back to our uh, diversity and inclusion um, uh, priorities. We are registering as an endpoint assessment organisation for apprenticeships for the existing level seven and level six uh, apprenticeships that are relevant to us but we and encouraging employers to take those up but we also want to look at um, a, a level three level four apprenticeship role that would create yet another route um, into into the profession um, we're doing quite a bit of work around cop 26 and cop 15 although cop 15 the the face-to-face -face part of that has been postponed but we'll be doing a series of events uh, and activities for members around those two really, really important um, uh, conferences. And we'll also, um, we're doing a lot of policy work at the moment. One of the things um, even prior to Brexit was the um, divergence uh, within the countries of the UK in terms of some of the environmental uh, policies. And of course, now that's post-Brexit, that's um, increasing divergence divergence in terms of legislation and policy, um, and then also working with EU legislation and policy for our members who are not, not based in the UK. So we'll be publishing um, a briefing paper on what that divergence looks like. And we'll also be produce, uh, publishing our work on biodiversity net gain and wellbeing um, and how those two um, strands of policy can be interwoven. So quite a lot going on. Keep us out of mischief. Absolutely. And don't forget our autumn conference, of course, which we're hoping yeah. will be a face-to-face -face event in Bristol in mid-November on management mitigation and monitoring. Wonderful. I shall watch this space then. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. There's, yeah, there's a lot of work. You're, you're, so that's going to take you another 30 years, isn't it? It is, but I've got a fantastic team um, who, who work their socks off uh, and are really passionate about what they do. In support of the profession so um and, and 
great volunteers. We, you know, we have, we're backed up by hundreds of volunteers who give thousands of hours of time each year to, to support others and you know, in, in the profession. So um, it, it's, it's a great example of good teamwork, I think. Wonderful, wonderful. And how many members of, of your team, employees, do, does uh, Simon have? How many employees? Um, we've currently got 21, um, although that will be going up to um, 22 fairly shortly. Um, and uh, yeah, so a mixture of full and part-time uh, staff. And um, they're, they're just a great team. And we're looking back forward to seeing many of them back in, in the office again. We're moving, we've moved offices recently. So we've moved from Winchester to place called Anfield near near Romsey, new, more environmentally uh, friendly offices. And we're moving to a, a hybrid uh, model of working um, starting next week. Wow. Well, well, good luck with that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think this this is this hybrid working situation forced upon us. It's the, the it's, it's going to remain with us, I'm sure. Now, um, now this um, the, the Ecology Academy podcast is aimed at a wide range of listeners, um, particularly you know early career ecologists, um, and um, but equally so, you know professional ecologists who are moving through, you know the, the, their companies, and as well as environmental leaders. So, what do you think employers look for or consider when appointing an ecologist? Um, and you know, what advice would you give to but we'll start with an early career ecologist. If you were give, providing your personal advice to someone who's either you know entering our profession, what would it be? Um, I think uh, hang on to your passion for, for your subject. I think I would invest time in learning your field craft, your field skills, your species identification. Um, it's very easy to very quickly get drawn into other areas uh, of activity, um, but those core skills of being able to, you know, recognize a reasonable range of plants, um, a reasonable range of, of, of invertebrates, um, perhaps finding your taxa that you really want to focus on um, and start to study in depth and, and learning from others, you know, to, to do that, I think is, is never time that's wasted. It will come, it will stand you in good stead later, later in your career. And it's very difficult to find the time to fit it in later. Um, so um, I think in my early stages of career, I would um, I'd certainly be, be doing that. I'd also be talking. I'd, I'd be taking every opportunity to talk to other ecologists and environmental managers and network. You know, if you're a member of SAIEM, one of the biggest pleasures if you go along to a, a geographic section event or a special interest group event is seeing young people there or people coming into the profession and just taking the opportunity to um, to talk to more experienced um, practitioners and and get advice, make contacts, you know, make make start to build relationships. Um, it's really you're very welcome, and it's really time well invested. Great, yeah, thank you, Sally. Now I would say for you to do your thirty second pitch, um, but I think you've done a very good job already. <laughs> but it, but uh, as we as we wrap things up, um, Sally, is there anything you know you'd like to um, you know additionally like to add from our conversation today, or equally so, how we can actually connect with either yourself or members of your team, or actually get involved with them directly? Sure, thank you. Well, I would just finish really by saying. I do think uh, ecology and environmental management is a great career. It's a good time to be joining the profession and being part of the profession, but it is what we all make it. And, and that one of the things about being involved in a professional body is that um, 
the membership can help shape the future direction of the profession and how it operates. And I'm really excited. Um, I have quite a lot of ambition uh, for the next few years for, for both Saeem and for um, our, our industry. Um, and I want people to, to be a part of it and to be proud of it. Um, it's been a huge, I regard it as a huge honour to be the CEO of Saeem. I, I love the job. Uh, nobody's taking it away from me anytime soon. Um, and um, uh, I really enjoy, you know, getting out and about meeting members as well. And I've missed, I've missed doing that. So um, it's, um, so it's a real privilege for me to be able to have this opportunity to talk to your audience, uh, Richard. Um, I, 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 I thank you for that. Um, and I, I look forward to welcoming more members into the Institute and, and meeting new members over the next coming months and years. And you know, let's tackle some of the issues that we've talked about. Let's tackle them together, but with a view to making you know, us being a, a standout profession that people want to join whatever background they come from, um, whatever history they have, you know, let's come and, and, and be an ecologist and surely it's got to be the most fantastic job in the world. I think so. Big right. They absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, so Sally Haynes, thank you for joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast. Pleasure. Thank you, Richard. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.